work, guys. More team. They're burying us alive! Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old-time hockey? Piss on old-time hockey! You're blowing it! And now, between the stammers, your unofficial Canucks cast, here's Art and Caleb. It's a milestone episode of Between the Stammers. Art Aronson here alongside Caleb Kirby. 25, baby. We're a quarter of a century yeah. from 100. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, da- we're recording this uh, live to tape on a Thursday, March 14th. Since our last podcast, uh, the Canucks won one, lost two. They lost to Edmonton 3-2. They got shellacked by Vegas 6-2. And then uh, the 4-1 win over New York on Wednesday night, which was uh, the last one. So uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, also on this podcast, uh, the Canucks call up Quinn Hughes. It's a pretty big deal. We have a special guest on our podcast. This well, is yeah. this is a first for us. Yeah, yeah. And it's a big guest, too. I'm pumped. Yeah. Uh, he's got some credibility, unlike us, <laughs> which is really good. Uh, what else? Uh, scratched uh, Louis Erickson. That was a pretty big deal. Uh, PD got a bit of a dirty hit. Chris Kreider doing his thing. Uh, the NHL responded. Uh, also, fire bending. Fire Jim Benning was trending after that blowout loss to Vegas. Antoine Roussel out for the season as well. Man, we're I don't know if we're gonna get to all these topics. Why don't we uh why don't we introduce the guest first and foremost? Yeah, so out of my old stomping grounds, that's Nanaimo, Chris Faber likes to be called Faber. Everybody calls him Faber, right? Faber? Yeah, you betcha, boys. Happy to be on the uh, episode 25 here. That's Kevin BX's old 2006 number. So this is a big day for me coming on 25. <laughs> this guy knows his shit. Yeah. This is good. Yeah, he's a podcaster from Nanaimo. He also contributes to Canucks Army. And his podcast is called Canucks Conversations. And it's a really cool idea. He's had some cool guys on his show, too, like real legitimate people, like Jeff Patterson, <laughs> yeah. uh, Botchford. Uh, I was looking on there as well. And... Uh, Matt Sakaris and uh, Price, right? Yeah. Sakaris and Price. And now you're with a couple rubes today, Faber. <laughs> hey, I'm excited to be here, boys. <laughs> it, it is just the guests that make my show pretty legitimate. Uh, I did get into it with Sakaris a little bit. Uh, I've been emailing him like crazy. He doesn't want to come on the show, but I guess I don't know if his voice is the best for podcasts. It's kind of annoying. <laughs> it's kind of annoying for radio, I would say as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to hear this, and he's not going to want to come on our show. Ah, well, yeah, what can fun. you do? So yeah, tell us a little bit about how. Uh, well, let's get. Let's first just introduce yourself. How'd you become a Canucks fan, man? Oh well, I was born in BC, so I was kind of stuck with it at that point. Uh, been a Canucks fan growing up, and then you know it was obviously it was a lot of fun growing up watching Canucks, supporting your local team. But 2011, I feel like that was kind of the year for a guy who's my age. I'm 25 years old, so this is really good coming on episode 25, I guess. Uh, but you know that, the X is that old 2011 number. run. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. that uh, that 2011 uh, run was actually when I was like graduating high school. So like parents were letting us start to drink with them and get involved with like the Canucks, and and that was just like an amazing time. So I kind of just became a huge fan in about 2011. Uh, always growing up, love watching the guys from you know the West Coast Express back in the day. Like everyone wanted to be Naslin out in the road hockey days and everything. So just it's it's been a long time and uh, started kind of doing podcasting about two years ago. I was with another podcast that's actually out of your guys' hometown there in Victoria. Uh, then they let me go about a year ago. They decided to go a different direction. Then uh, kind of just thought about the Canucks conversation. I was like, you know what? There's not really anyone doing this. And uh, I was always a fan of people texting in and calling in to TSN 1040 or Sportsnet, whatever it was. And I just thought, you know, there's a lot different. You can hear a lot different tone in someone's voice when you're actually hearing their freaking voice. Like, you know, it's a lot different than just reading a text. And I thought, like, these people are pretty smart, some of these people texting in. I'd love to get in contact and just, like, hear what these people have to say. And that was kind of the idea behind Canucks Conversation. And uh, like you said, yeah, I've been uh, I've been shocked more than anyone about some of the people that I've been able to talk to. Dude, it's a really good take on a Canucks show. Like, it's so unique getting these different guests on. And, and I feel like you've united a lot of, like, Canucks fans and Canucks media, Canucks podcasters <laughs> with – uh, the show that you do, you know, giving everybody time to kind of get on and explain what they're all about. Like, it's a really, really great approach. And uh, I, I think you've gotten a lot of fans uh, just by doing that. So great work. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. And and it, it's really true because, you know, a lot of these people I see interacting with each other, whether it be on Twitter or anything else, mostly Twitter. But, uh, you know, it kind of feels like I like starting to know a lot of these people, especially when you can, you know, sit down and have a conversation with them. It's, it's a lot different than just interacting through an internet app, I guess. And it's, 
it's really cool seeing everything grow and I've just been really happy with it. And uh, yeah, the show's just kind of taken off, you know, had some pretty cool opportunities and got to go check out the TSN studios, hang around with Blake Price and Sakaris. And uh, it, it, it shocks the shit out of me every day, dude. Like I can't believe how good the show's actually been doing. I've, it blows me away because, you know, getting cut off of a podcast a year ago was, was pretty heartbreaking because I really like podcasting. You know, I listen to a ton at work, like real good show pucks on net uh, tune into obviously between the stammers with you guys. Uh, you know, a lot of these shows kind of get me through the day, just working my day job. And, and I always was like, I, I should try and get into this. This is something I really like. And, and the fact that it's had some success early, I've just been blown away, man, blown away. Uh, if there was one episode that you've done so far that is like your favorite, do you have one that people should definitely tune in and you're like, this is what my show is all about? Which one oh, is Oh, yeah, uh, 100%, man. And it, it's kind of what I just said there, just listening to – uh, Pucks on Net and Real Good Show. Those were two of the ones that I absolutely love. Two podcasts I listened to out of Vancouver. Uh, Ryan Schapp and um, and Justin Morissette were the guys that joined me for, I think it was episode eight or nine, but that was just really cool just talking to two other podcasters who have made it pretty big. I mean, they've been running their shows for like five years and four years apiece. And, and just, you know, having a conversation with those guys, it's like they really understand podcasts. They, they, they get how to put out good content. I love listening to their content. And it was really cool. And then I got an opportunity to meet them in person uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was over in Vancouver, went out for some beers with both of them. And uh, good Vancouver boys, but they drank some Lucky to represent the nice. island a little bit. It was nice. Nice. Ever throw a lime in that Lucky? I've never thrown a lime in a Lucky. That's, oh. that's a thing? Yo, man, jam one in the can, in the mouth of the can. You get that little lime hit before you uh, take that sip. It's not too shabby. I'm a Campbell River guy myself. And, uh, yeah. You know, when summer summertime comes around, that's that's how I drink it. Favor, he's converted me. I also was skeptical. Really, lime and the lucky. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, it's a it's a game changer. <laughs> is it is it too crazy for me to say that I feel like a lemon fits in a lucky better than a lime? Is that is that just crazy? I feel like a lemon would give you. I don't even know how much different they taste, but I feel like a lemon is a lucky. Like I feel like that's a mix. Dude, I've never tried it, but I, I'm I'm open to the idea. I, hey, I I'll tell you what, boys. I will try that lime, though. I will try that. That, that sounds interesting. All right. Well, let's move on to some uh, Canucks topics. Uh, since you're our first guest on our podcast, we have to go over some of the, like, hot-button Canucks topics right now. Uh, I want to ask you, first, just and foremost, uh, how do you feel about the direction of the Canucks right now? Are you happy with where they're going, uh, you know, Jim Benning, all that sort of thing, uh, all those sort of things right now that are hot topics in Canucks. Are are you happy with where they're going? Uh, happy is probably not the right word, but I, I see what's going on a little bit, I think, from just looking at it at a broad standpoint. I mean, the biggest thing for me right now, and I understand that fire Benning's been such a big topic, obviously trending throughout Canada the other week, and, and just, I, you know, I get why people are saying that, but for myself, like, I look at something like Toronto and look at what Toronto did surrounding not only their general manager with so many great guys, I mean, analytics guys, hockey guys like Brandon Shanahan. Like, why? I just wonder, and I'll throw it right back to you boys, but like, why doesn't Aquilini surround Benning with a lot of guys that can help him think aside from John Weisbrot? It seems crazy to me. You had Trevor Linden there, and uh, we still don't know what happened with Trevor Linden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like personally, and I mean, I've mentioned this before. I think Linden was on the like athletic therapy side of things. And, you know, like, he went down to the Spurs to check them out, see how they train, like, a, a, a great basketball franchise. And, I mean, year after year after year, the Canucks are always in the top of the league in injuries. And I think that was a, a pretty big blow to a guy like him. This is all, like, me just speculating. But, um, you know, like, I, I agree. I think they need more guys in there to help Benning out on the analytical side. Uh, wise broad. Um, Judd Brackett when it comes to drafting, like all these guys kind of kind of help him build it. But obviously with, with Trevor, something wasn't working. And and maybe that's why, you know, he left when he did. I I I don't know if I um I I don't think Benning should go yet. Like there still have guys in the system that are coming in. A lot of people have been fretting over Utica, saying like Utica's a mess and we have no prospects left. Well, Utica, they kind of do look like a mess right now, but we still have prospects coming down the pipe, right? Tyler Madden is on his way. He's having a great season. Jet Wu down in Moose Jaw, another guy's having a great season. Like, some of these guys are very close to making this jump, and then obviously Quinn just made the jump. So I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think a lot of the doom and gloom right now is just because of the way that they've ended this season. But 
a lot of that is on injuries, and a massive part of that is still on this power play, which which gets ignored. Like the power play has been one of the most abysmal things. Yeah, it's the second worst in the last uh, two months, I guess, in the NHL. Uh, I think K- Kirby and I, we kind of unfortunately we agree on this that we we both think that the Canucks are in pretty deep with Benning right now with a lot of their prospects, and we kind of have to see this through a little longer. And I think it, it at least I think it might be one of those situations where. Remember when Dave Nonis was here in, like, I guess uh, 2006, 2007, he was running a team, and then Aquilini fired him when they didn't make the playoffs that one year, and then Gillis came in and kind of reaped the benefits for all the good things that Nonis did. Not that Gillis didn't make a few good moves himself, Christian Erhoff. Uh, I just think that uh, we could get into a situation where if you fired Benning, the next guy would come in and inherit the good stuff. Well, not only that, but um, put his own stamp on the team by trading away some of these picks and accumulations that have either potential or have done us good so far. I mean, granted, like the free agent signings have been a disaster, right? Like Sutter, Erickson, these are like clearly Benning's problem. And when we look at, you know, what he's going to do in free agency, I'm terrified again going into this year. And I'm even a little worried about the Edler contract in, in all honesty. But yeah, how do you feel, Faber? Yeah, it's, it's just really interesting because, you know, this team talks about being in a rebuild, but it seems like it's, you know, it's we haven't really had direction until this year, I'd almost say. And this is one year where we can actually start to see, like, okay, at the start of the season, they said, like, playoffs is probably not going to happen this year. They're kind of accepting of that. But you saw what the New York Rangers did last year at the end of the year, like, sending out that letter. It would just be, like, why didn't they do that, like, two years ago? Like, let us know, hey, we're going to rebuild. And I think a lot of Canucks fans are on board for a rebuild. And I just think that's the biggest thing in question right now is, like, what is the direction exactly of this team when you go out and sign guys like Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Antoine Roussel's had a great season, even though it's over now. But when the signing happened, I was thinking, like, what the hell are they doing signing guys like Antoine Roussel and, and Beagle to these ridiculous contracts of four years long with no trades in them as well? I just, you know, the fact that Bo Horvat doesn't have a no trade in his contract and Jay Beagle does, it's like, holy shit, how does that happen? And, and I think that's where it comes into play is, you know, you hear every time Benning talks about something, like whenever he talks about a player that they just signed or a player they just traded for, he always says, we think. And when I hear him say, we think, all I think about is Jim Benning and John Wisebrod saying something together. And I just, when I see that combination together, I feel like they are just on the same page about everything. And I've heard Botchford talk about this quite a bit, but like a wait a sec guy, I just, I really think they need a different voice in that room with them. And I don't know if Trevor Linden was that, but from what hearing, I guess, a little bit of the rumors in the offseason, that might have been the reason why they actually got rid of Trevor Linden because, you know, from what – these are all rumors apparently. I'm not inside the room. But just hearing what they said, you know, Linden wanted to keep rebuilding this team when Benning was kind of saying, you know, we're, no, we're pretty close. We can go out and sign a couple guys and make a push into the playoffs. And obviously when an owner hears that, what do you think the owner thinks? I mean, obviously they're going to be excited like, yeah, let's go to the playoffs. That sounds great. But – Really, like, the goal should be to win a Stanley Cup. And, I, and if that was Trevor Linden's idea at the start, I don't know why they fired him in the offseason. Or, sorry, amicably parted ways. Yeah. I, I just think when I look at this fan base and I look at the direction or non-direction of this team, it has polarized the fans. you got the the tankist, I guess we're going to call him that. Yeah, for And sure. then you have the, you know, let's go for the playoffs. Let's just try and win every game. What 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 side on that do you jump on there, favorite? Well, you know, I, I, it was something I was trying to decide all year, like, what side am I on? And then this other one emerged. It's team whatever happens, happens. And, you know, at that point, like, I was, I'm never going to cheer for the Canucks to lose, but I am going to cheer for the Canucks to get a good draft pick and rebuild this team. So there's a certain aspect of Team Tank that I do believe in. If you had to, like, pick a side on either one, I guess I would be on Team Tank. I, I would have loved to see them get into the playoffs and maybe get an opportunity for Patterson and Horvat to grow. Was it realistic? Probably not. I think a lot of people had us predicted to be a bottom five team in this league, and look at where we're shaping out right now, to be a bottom five team in this league. Obviously, injuries play a huge key in that, and I don't think anyone took into consideration of what Pedersen was going to do as well. So, you know, that's why I'm kind of sitting in the middle. I'm on this team, whatever happens, happens. Hashtag TW... I don't know. I'm not even going to try to say <laughs> You know what I'm trying to say, boys. No, I I, I completely agree with you on, on whatever happens, happens. The thing about me is I really would have loved to have seen this playoff taste. And I mean, Petey kind of got everybody's hopes up when he came out of the gate so hot, right? This team was better than expectations. And we saw some leaps and bounds this year. Like there have been positives, you know, the, the Markstrom turning into a solid number one goaltender and playing the way he's played down the stretch is incredible. You know, yeah, I, I said it last week. I think Markstrom is, might be the most improved player 
in the NHL from from last year to this year. The um like where it gets weird for me is when I look at Benning bringing in guys, you know, like a guy like Quinn Hughes, Gaudet last year, Besser the year before, late into the season. I really like the idea of giving these guys a taste of what the NHL is like, right? So they they see it, they know, they train in the offseason, they come back and they're ready to play. Yeah. This is this season that just happened. There's a couple guys who are going to be leaders on this team in the very near future, like, um, you know, Pedersen, Besser, Gaudet, Horvat's already a leader. These guys, I really wanted to see them make the playoffs and just get that taste of the playoffs, even if it is a first-round bounce, just to take that next step, right, to see where they're going from there and and get an understanding of what it takes to even compete on a higher level when everything gets accelerated. And I, I equate that a lot to kind of when a, when a guy first comes into the league. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say on that specifically is when people are talking about tanking, it's hard to get a read on it because some people are like, yeah, we should tank. We should get a pick and, and do everything. And then those same people are also saying fire Benning, right? And it's like, why do you want to fire Benning if you're going to tank? Because like, this is the guy who's going to be making the pick. Shouldn't you be cheering for them? So they have like less of a chance. Yeah, and you would probably want Jim Benning to be making that pick if you look at what he's done in his past, right? He's a good drafter. That's the thing that he has going for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I find it a little contradictory in, in that sort of sense. But yeah, I kind of find the whole and I we're noted anti-tankists on this mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah, uh, we cheer to win here. Yeah, we cheer <laughs> to win every game we do, and and I think when you look at the deadline as well, and everybody wonders why players don't have any value and stuff like that. I think if you play well. Your player, if you if you do well, the team does well as a team. Then you have players that have value that you can trade. So I just I think it all. If you play well, what is it? What is the term that you had, Kirby? Play better, draft better. Yeah, that right. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we're at as. Uh, as yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, think about the guys that we wanted to trade this year, like Eric Branson. I think a lot of people wanted him traded. Mm-hmm. Chris Tana. A lot of people wanted him traded. I mean, Brandon Sutter, a guy that, like, I don't I, I don't know why more people weren't screaming for Sutter to get traded. But to, to your guys' point there, it makes a hell of a lot of sense because, like, what are those guys' value? You look at someone like the what the Rangers just did clearing out. They traded some good players that were having good seasons yeah. away for good picks, even going back to last trade deadline, right? I mean, moving McDonough was huge. I mean, they got Nemestikov, mm-hmm. a couple of first-round picks, a first and a second out of that. Like, the Canucks just didn't have players to move in that situation, aside from maybe what Edler was doing. Yeah. If you look at Edler's season so far, it was good. He was off to a good start. Before that injury, I was full-on on the boat that said, yeah, let's ship him out. Let's yeah. get Edler out for another pick. If he wants to come back in the offseason, great. If not, there's a lot of other guys out there. And it's at Edler's age right now, I mean – the contract for Edler is going to be really interesting in the offseason here because that's going to be a huge talking point for this team. Oh, and you don't want to handcuff yourself with Seattle's expansion either in the future, right? And you know totally. that his agent's probably going to be asking for a no trade. Like, and and the Canucks can't really afford to do that. I, I said it before as well. I think Jim Benning was that kid at the lunch table, you know, in elementary school that had the bruised banana and he's trying to trade it for a snack pack and everybody's like, get out of here with that. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants this. Yeah, but um, the problem is, like, Jim Benning thinks that he can turn that bruised banana into banana bread or something. Like, he's, <laughs> like, he's like, oh, I'm going to go pick up this Derek Pouliot who's going to come tear it up for us. Or, you know, he's always going after these reclamation projects. And at the same time, it's like, it's like I don't know. You, there's a way to kind of do it. And we see other teams doing it. And the Canucks just aren't doing it the right way, it seems like. So I get the direction they're in. But, like, are they going the wrong way? Maybe. Like, we don't really know right now. So season's over. Your uh, Aquilini, would you can him? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I, I would, like like I talked about earlier, I would try and surround him with some really smart hockey guys that can, you know, he can get some advice from in different positions, whether it be analytics, contracts. I mean, Lawrence Gilman was an amazing guy for this Vancouver Canucks team. I think if he was still with the organization, that would be huge. The stuff that he's going to do for Toronto is going to be amazing for them, and that scares the living shit out of me because I hate Toronto. Yeah, nobody wants to see them win a cup in, in BC. Yeah, no, I don't think so at all. And then just, you know, if they if he were to surround him with some guys and say, okay, like this year we're going to go into the free agency with a good hockey group of guys. We're going to go into the draft with – I think their, their drafting group, I don't know if that even needs work. The stuff that Judd Bracken's done is amazing. They've yeah. found some good, some good players late in the draft, whether it be whether it be guys like Madden or Goddard. I mean, these late-round picks that hit, that's amazing. 
But at the same time, you got to like look at Jim Benning and say, is the drafting really that amazing? I mean, Jake Vertanen, that high, is that a huge hit? Is Yolevi a huge hit? It's not amazing. So you got to really think about, is Judd Brackett the one making that first-round pick, or is Judd Brackett making the rounds between two and seven? I'm going to guess that the scout is probably the one picking the ones in the later rounds. Yeah, he's going GM deeper. picking the early, right? He's, he's going deeper. I mean, I, the Yolevi one to me is kind of unfair just because we haven't seen him play. And, and it's the injuries suck. And everybody here knows the injuries suck. Like, we're just plagued by injuries. And, and I, I, I mean, I want to see an investigation in what the Canucks are doing for health and training and, and everything else. Like, that's one of my biggest things is, I, like, I don't understand how this will be the fourth straight season where we're finishing high, like, super high up in the league as far as man games lost to injury. The last three seasons, we were in the top three. Like, mm-hmm. that, that has to change. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you want to throw on your tinfoil hat, they might as well investigate the uh, NHL draft lotteries as well because I would love to see what the hell's going on with that. The fact that we dropped three every single year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was really disappointing. That was a really low moment in Canucks uh, for like, the Canucks last year. Have you guys lost hope like, going into the draft lottery at this point? Or do you, do you guys still think, like, oh, there's a chance we can go in the top three? Or are you guys just over it? Because I, I don't know where I'm at right now with that one. Dude, I'm totally over it. I, I was pumped we got Hughes. Like, going in last year, I was like, there's no way we're going to get this guy, but I wanted him. And and it's somehow, like, that magically just fell into our laps because of uh, Arizona and Montreal. But, yeah, I mean, I was super disappointed when I heard where we were picking. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, I, I'm over it. Over it all. I just know that uh, the Canucks aren't going to get the topic. I just know it in my yeah. head. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's part of being a Canucks fan, though, right? Because you expect the worst. But I want, I, that, I want that D-man, man. I don't care which one we draft. Like, I mean, obviously, I want Bowen Byram probably the most, but I, I want another D-man on this back end. Like, that, yeah, I, I still think we need another guy. I'm incredibly high on Victor Soderstrom. I've been doing a lot of research on him, wrote multiple articles for him, uh, and, and he's impressive, man. I know that he's probably not where we – like, we're probably going to end up picking seventh or eighth. I don't know if that's too high for Soderstrom, but the right-handed shot, Swedish guy, looks like he would fit amazing with Quinn Hughes in the future. So I just want to get that out on record. I am super high on Victor Soderstrom. Nice. Love it. Love it. Uh, that's a pretty good segue into the next topic I wanted to talk about. Uh, Quinn Hughes, the Canucks uh, called him up, signed him to a contract. Just uh, a big deal. Like, he came, he comes in with a lot of fanfare, as uh, we've been talking about here. We, and it's a little unfortunate that he got hurt. The now game... he's in a fucking walking boot. <laughs> <laughs> walking boot. That's been uh, trending on Canucks Twitter, hasn't oh, it? Oh, God. Yeah, that logo going around is pretty good. The oh. Uh, logo with the boot, that's pretty good. That's unreal, that. yeah. And, and this Chris, Chris Conti over there. He does good work on Twitter. He does do good work. Uh, I And, this, and this, this goes into the whole injury thing again. Like, do we trust the Canucks? with what's going to happen next with uh, Quinn Hughes here, the next step. Uh, there was the thought before he blocked uh, that shot, I guess, that he was going to, uh, before the uh, they did an x-ray or whatever, they did some, uh, looked into it, and they thought maybe he'd join the team this week, but obviously that's not going to happen. What's the latest? Well, it sounds like he wants to play. They're just not letting him play yet. Yeah. So they're saying he's probably another week out. Yeah, I hear he's in the walking boot for one week, and I can hear... I. The things that I've been hearing is could be two weeks. I know that like the Tuesday game against the Ducks, Thursday against the Kings, and that's like two weeks away from now. I mean, uh, it, I wanted to see him play nine games. I didn't want to see him play ten. Like everyone was, you know, everyone was saying, "Don't go past ten. Don't go to 11. Yeah, you but didn't want to see the burn. Yeah, I didn't want to see that, but I also didn't want to see him be a rest- like have uh, restricted free agency a year earlier as well, similar to what Brock Besser did. Yeah, uh, you know, so I think that playing him under nine games is great. But at the same time, like I'd like to see him get up to nine games, and it doesn't look like we're going to get to see that. Yeah. Here's uh, the GM, uh, Jim Benning, on uh, what he's hoping out of Hughes if we get to see him here. I want him to, you know, get in here and get adjusted, get accustomed to the speed and the strength of the NHL players. Um, I think, you know, there's some aspects of his game that he can step in and help our group right now. His ability to get back and transition the puck up ice, uh, beat that first four checker, you know, he could help us there. Uh, even on the power play, like his ability to walk the line and, you know, snap passes to either side or, or change the angle on shots and get him through and on the net. I think, you know, that's something that he's he's very good at and he could help us uh, on our power play so but i don't want to put too much pressure on him it's a big step he's a you know a 19 year old kid and 
he's going to play his first NHL games and you know there's lots of expectation for him and I just want him to you know come in here and you know do what he's capable of and and feel comfortable and get experience um I think the expectations should be high I really do like he could very well be the best defenseman we might ever dress like his his skating is incredible the way he moves the puck think of the d-man that we've had on this team Quinn is completely different than basically anybody we've ever had. It's interesting because even during the run, the 2011 run there, I felt that, yeah, Christian Erhoff was, he was upper tier. But I I felt that we had a whole lot of like, you know, second tier defensemen, not, you know, top notch defensemen. This guy seems like he has the ability to be a top notch guy. Yeah, I completely agree. Just the way that, that, that you see the NHL evolving so much from defensemen. I mean, look, like, and, like, there was a reason that Eric Branson was picked so high back then. Like, that was what you wanted as a defenseman. But you see the way that some of the best defense in the NHL are made now, and it's, it's not six foot three and right-handed. It it's, can get the first pass out super fast, has amazing skating ability, and Quinn's just amazing at both of those. So, obviously, expectations should be high for Quinn Hughes, and I think he set them for himself as well. Like, you can hear Quinn Hughes talking in the interviews, and, and he talks about this you know, being an NHL player is like a business. This was something that he's been wanting to do his whole life. Obviously growing up with both of his parents being involved in NHL teams as well has kind of set him up for this situation. And then having his brother coming up in the draft next year, I think Quinn just, I think he might have the highest expectations for himself and more than any Canucks fans even. And that sounds crazy to say. I know. I, I kind of felt the same way about Petey when he came in uh, this year totally. too. Like these guys are just like ice in their veins, like just gamers. Right. And you, you can just tell from, with the way Quinn talks in his interviews, like he's ready to go. And man, the thing that I'm the most excited for is the way he'll open up the ice on this power play. Like he's going to work that blue line. Like nobody we've seen, I think in this uniform so far, like he's going to move around and get everybody else moving on the ice. Uh, Caleb and I got a chance to see Quinn Hughes. He came here for the world junior championship, uh, Hmm. a tournament there and he was playing Finland. Yeah. They were playing Finland. And we kind of thought when we watched him, we're like, this guy's, like, too talented for the people around him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, that's kind of how I felt watching him at World Juniors as well. And it was similar to watching Peter. And it's so crazy. Like, you guys just brought up the fact how Quinn Hughes is very similar to Peterson, Pedersen, the way he came in. And it's it's interesting. I, I look at some of the players that they've drafted in the top two rounds over the past couple of years. Jet Wu is an absolute gamer. Every oh, yeah. interview he does is absolutely amazing. Cole Lynn, the day that he got cut from World Juniors, he came back the next, I think, two days later in Kelowna, put up a hat trick in a fight, had five points that game. Like, these guys that they're drafting are 100% gamers. Look at Jonah Gad. If you haven't searched up Jonah Gadjevich's elite prospect profile picture, yeah. it's the best profile picture. The man-child. And, and just looking at the players that they've drafted, it looks like they're getting players with the similar mindset about hockey above all. And that's how I really feel about Quinn Hughes. That's why I think the highest expectations are from himself. And, uh, and that's something that in a player – like, you want that guy 10 times on your team out of 10. Uh, we got Quinn Hughes here. Just a short clip of him talking to the media just about the Canucks team and expectations. You know, I'm really excited to be here, like I said, and uh, I think they got a lot of good players here and they're really close, so I'm just going to try to do as much as I can. And, um, you know, I'm sure my teammates are going to make me better and hopefully I can make them better too. Oh, that's uh, very quaint of you there, Quinn Hughes. What a good boy. Yeah. Quinn sanity, baby. <laughs> Uh, the Canucks officially signed Quinn Hughes to the entry-level contract. A decision from the other Michigan prospect taking a little bit longer. Will Lockwood expected to wait till next week, I guess, to choose whether or not to turn pro. Uh, Lockwood was the Canucks' third-round pick back in 2016, and he just completed his junior season with the Wolverines. By far his best one. He had 31 points in 36 games. Actually wasn't leading score. I guess Hughes was the leading score, right? He, 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 well, yeah. I mean, Lockwood's interesting to me, man. Like, that shoulder that put him back, that injury, I think that's a big reason, like, why he's not ready to go, basically, right now. Like, he wants to make sure that everything's tickety-boo, and, and uh, we'll see what happens over the summer. You know anything about uh, Will Lockwood there? Well, from what I've heard from his coach, whose name's slipped my mind right now, but the fact that Michigan, you know, he, the only thing that worries me about Lockwood, and you guys touched on the shoulder there, that's the only thing that really worries me is, is does he play too reckless? And I think that was what they yeah. worried about going into this season. But seeing the fact that he could stay healthy, play 36 games, put up 31 points, like I think that 
I, I, he must have known that. Like, he must have known, okay, maybe, like, I have enough hockey skill not to play like a, like a Matt Cook. Like, I can go out there and be just a guy who can contribute instead of a guy that just stirs shit up. And Will Lockwood kind of really took a huge jump this year, whether that be the fact that he moved on to a first line with Michigan, was also on the power play with Quinn Hughes. I mean, we saw, you know, my guy at Canucks Army there, Ryan Beach, sending out the gifts all the time in the videos of, of Hughes to Lockwood and they're just scoring so many power play goals. And that's super exciting to see. But the fact that we got to remember Lockwood's only 20 years old at the same time, right? He's got a long way to go, whether that be if he comes out, because I think at the moment right now, he's currently undecided, but they could sign him, send him to the A. And I, I would probably wouldn't have too much of a problem with that. He's a smaller guy, but I would love to see him start to develop. And it's similar to what we want to see with Quinn Hughes. Like we'd love to see him, what he can do at the NHL level. Well, I would love to see what Will Lockwood can do at the AHL level with some of these other young guys, whether it be the Cole Lind or Gadjevich, who was just hurt the other night, yeah. but just get him involved in maybe what those guys are doing and seeing how different it was. I had Harmon Dial on my show this week and he's amazing to talk to by the way. And, and there was something that we kept touching on with these young guys. It's like, okay, there's such a difference between playing in a professional league than there is playing in NCAA or WHL or OHL or any of these major junior leagues. There's such a different feel to hockey when you're actually a professional hockey player. And I think with a lot of these guys, I'd love to see it and just see Lockwood get an opportunity to see what it's like to be an everyday professional hockey player. What is your uh, view on what's going on at Utica right now in the AHL? Because I see it quite a bit. Uh, You know, people are upset that some of these uh, guys haven't quite taken the next step, like Cole Lind, and uh, uh, you saw what happened with uh, Dolan as well. Uh, What's your sense of what's going on there? It's hard, man. It's really hard to see because Trent Cull, who was uh, formerly with uh, the Lightning's AHL team as well, like, I I also heard rumors back then of, like, when he had Kucherov in the AHL, he wasn't playing Kucherov in the top six, and and then when he actually finally did play, and that's when Kucherov started tearing up the AHL, was immediately up to the NHL to come play, and then just tore it up ever since then. But, you know, a guy that I obviously like following, and I'm sure you guys probably do as well on Twitter, Corey Hergott, who does amazing work. I mean, he, he listens, he watches every game. I've done a couple of my podcasts with him as well. I, I basically, I don't watch all the Utica Comets games. I basically just talk to Corey, you know, once or twice a week, and we, and he kind of fills me in on every question that I have for him. And, and from what I hear, you know, that the biggest thing is you got to look at guys like Colin and Gadjevich, and, and yeah, like those are probably the two big wingers that we'd love to see playing more top six minutes. Dallin's a really good example, and I think Dallin was playing a lot of power play time, but was he in the top six with guys like Godet or Gauntz or Boucher? Apparently he wasn't, so there is yeah. definitely something to look and he was, at what Trent Cole's doing. He was a massive minus on that team, too. He led them in the minus category, right? He was on the ice yeah. for a lot of goals, and I think they're I think they looking for more rounded-out guys. They're like, I, it, When I look at the Canucks, I think their biggest need offensively is a guy in front of the net. I think Will Lockwood could potentially be that guy. I think that's why Benning brought in guys like Spooner and Pearson, just to see if those guys could do something like that in front of the net and muck it up, banging some garbage. You know, Jonah Gadjevich is is that type of player as well. Cole Lind, skilled guy. You know, probably not so much that type of player, but, I mean, Cole Lind, like, Art, you and I, we saw him in junior all the time when he was on the Rockets, and he's going to be a player for sure. It's just... Everybody takes a, a different amount of time to get here, right? And and that's the thing. People got to be patient with the systems in place down in Utica. People got to be patient with the guys that are here now developing. And, like, you got to give some of these guys a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. And I really like what Travis Green does, right? He knows, like, he's proven to me that he knows what buttons to push with certain players. And you can almost hear it when he's talking about guys like Goldie and Jake. Like, he's a little harder on them and his pressers than anybody else. But it seems like when he's like that, next game they go out and they're flying. Yeah. Uh, we talked yeah. about the uh, – oh, sorry. Was there something else you want to add to there, Gabriel? Oh, no, you guys finish up. That's all good. Uh, I just uh, – yeah, we talked about uh, them signing their top prospect in Quinn Hughes. They also made another signing this week, uh, signing defenseman Josh Tevez. Do I have that right? Uh, yep. One-year entry-level contract, uh, 24-year-old, a Calgary native, had 85 points in – 126 career games over four seasons with the Princeton University Tigers. So he's clearly a smart kid. The six foot, 180 pound defenseman also has played, uh, oh, played a single season for the Merritt Centennials in the VCA yeah, League. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So well, what do we know about Josh Tevez? Uh, Kirby? 24, late bloomer, went to Princeton and played pretty good his first year and then just took a massive step. And, uh, you know, his second year, he led the team in scoring. And, and uh, this year, he, I think, what did he finish? He finished, 
He's finished all time in Princeton with uh, points from the back end. And I've, according to all scouting reports, he's really good at moving the puck. He's everything you want in a defenseman now in today's NHL with getting the pop up, puck up quick, jumping into the rush, uh, really good vision, uh, great skater, those types of things. Uh, what do you know about Tevez there? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the stats that he put up this year with the 20 points, like Princeton was a lot worse team this year, last year. This year they were 10, 18, and 3. Last year, 19, 13, and 4. So the team was a lot better last year. And last year, he was the most points per game out of every single defenseman in the NCAA, which is crazy impressive that we could get this guy. And and the, I don't know if this is going to come into the equation at the end of the year, but he will be up here with the Canucks. And, and he was paired with Quinn Hughes at development camp, so that's got to help as well. I found it you know, the fact that he's just going to sign for this end of this year, I actually really like that. I know a lot of people have said that's kind of strange. Like, what are they going to decide after that? But I think just signing him to this year, see what he can do quickly with a little bit of an NHL taste, and then, you know, assess it from there and get him in the AHL next year. And I, I think it's an option in the future, maybe moving forward to be a depth guy. But, you know, with these college guys, you never really know. I mean, look at Troy Stetcher is a great example, and Chris Tanev, and even what Ben Hutton did as a late-round pick, like, we don't really know what these guys are going to do at the NHL level until they're there or even when they're in yeah. the AHL. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I think it's a good signing. And the fact that he was kind of in our backyard playing for Merritt, like you mentioned, he was at development camp. He was at Calgary development camp a couple of years ago. So he's been around NHL play, I guess. So yeah. I'm excited to see, but like you said, like I've only seen some clips of him moving the puck up ice and it's, it's good. Like he seems to get in the offensive zone and, and a two-way guy, from what I hear. It's too bad he's not a right-handed shot. Holy shit. I would be happy if he was a right-handed shot. This is actually one thing that I, I really have to touch on, just going back to Benning real quick, is I think he does a good job with these types of guys, taking these yeah. flyers on on these guys. And I think the Canucks do a really good uh, job of scouting college. And, I mean, going back to the Canucks season and how they're playing and these leaders and everything like that, you know, guys coming out of college, they're playing 34 games a season. Right, going into the NHL, it's a pretty massive jump up to 82. the The road trips are a lot bigger, and all this sort of stuff. So, I think some of these guys can kind of run out of gas when we get into this type of season where everybody's supposed to be making the push. But what I really do like about uh, college hockey, NCAA hockey, is the structure and the amount of ice time a lot of these players have to refine their game. I think that yeah, in the NCAA, just the overall level of hockey is a lot more structured. And these guys are on the ice seven days a week, you know, practicing that. And, I, and lately, I think that that quality has shown when a lot of these players are making the jump. Uh, Benning on the Tevez signing. He's a smart two-way defenseman, always makes good decisions with the puck, a good passer. He's a little bit older, so he's physically mature, like you said there, Curb. And, uh, yeah, he's on a one-year deal and will join the Canucks immediately. So... Yeah, it's kind of that was kind of an exciting thing to happen this week. Uh, so we've gone through some of the uh, positive things that have happened. Uh, some <laughs> could look at this thing as positive or negative. Uh, the Canucks scratched Louis Erickson for the first time this season. To me, that's a positive, but it happened too late. <laughs> I'm with you, boys, and that's a positive. <laughs> it's about damn time. Yeah, I, I got a bunch of gifts from my buddies when I when I like text them. They, they scratched Louis Erickson. Kirby texted me right back immediately. <laughs> about damn time. I had someone else uh, texting me gifts. About damn time. Uh, Louis Erickson, 10 goals, 12 assists, 22 points in 69 games this year. Uh, those numbers alone can tell you. Like, this is a guy, he's their highest paid player. He's an absolute write-off, in my opinion. I mean, like, I, I, I would be shocked and upset if he was back on this team next season. So how do they get rid of this guy? Well, yeah, that's that's tough. <laughs> yeah, they I, give him the Wade Redden. Is that what they do? <laughs> <laughs> right, bury him in the yeah, minors. Yeah. I mean, well, what do you think, Favor? Yeah, he switched from a no move to a no trade this July first, I believe, and that's when it also. Or no, he just switched last year, so now it's down to fifteen, I believe, at uh, at July first. So the fact that they pay him out, and I think that's something like nine million dollars a team has to pay him over the next three years. So I. I I've heard a lot of people say, like, okay, let's eat half the cap and send them to Ottawa or somewhere that's going to try and raise their cap up to the floor. But at the same time, like, I don't know exactly how it works with him going back to Sweden, but if that is an option, explore the living shit out of that option because I, I would love that. Yeah, I mean, I like, Louis one of those guys who is, he's on his, I personally think he's on his last NHL contract. I think he kind of knew that when he signed this contract and he was salivating. And, yeah. and there's a lot of things when guys are a little more mature – 
like like the NHL and these general managers, it's not just Benning, it's it's other guys. They need to learn that when players hit this level, are the family guys signing these kind of last cash out contracts? Like they need to be ready. The term was too long, and handcuffing yourself from the no trade clause is is way too much. And I think we're gonna start seeing a trend in the NHL where these contracts start to disappear a little bit because it's burning everybody. Uh, Faber, Kirby has been on the record on this uh, podcast saying that this might go down as uh, the worst sign in Canuck history, and that even uh, you can even put Mark Messier under that. Well, I think it's neck and neck at this point. Like if we uh, go ahead, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at just as like what they've done for the money they've done, uh, yeah. Like Louis' contract. Like, don't get me wrong, I was. Like, I was excited when we signed Louis Erickson. I thought that he was going to come in and play with the Sedins and be that guy to kind of get the last little bit out of the Sedins. And I, at the time, like $6 million, I was like, okay, we missed out on Lucic, right? Like, Louis a decent option. He's done really good things. He's going to be – he's played with him. I think he played with him at the World Championship yeah. like two years in a row. And I was excited for Louis. And then the fact when he got here, it's just like, you know, you hear Jason Botchford and Jeff Patterson talking about it a lot in the podcast. He's the first guy off the ice every single day. He never stays <laughs> out for extra time. Like, little things, Louie, and now he's not doing the little things. Like, like he's just absolutely useless to the team. He's a decent penalty killer. But, yeah. you know, Tyler Mott's a decent penalty killer. Yeah. He makes less than a million dollars. Like He just... I, He's one of those guys who it's so easy because he's a big body too, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's so easy to look at him and just tell when he's disinterested out there. Like, the Louis Erickson flyby when a guy's on the wall. Like, the the amount of board battles I've seen this guy lose in the past three seasons is staggering. And it just, like, it makes my blood boil. And it's not even the money because it's not my money. I don't give a shit about the money. It's the way that they brought him in to gel with, like, two of the greatest Canucks to ever suit up. And he was a colossal bust. You know, like, it's, I I honestly think that, I mean, Messier was annoying because of, you know, winning with the Rangers, coming in, being Keenan's guy, the way Trevor went out, all that drama. Yes, that drama is fucking horrific. But if you look at just the contract and the way that we brought this guy in to help this team kind of rebuild and him him be one one of those vets, I think it's just as bad, like. Easily, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. So I was I was really excited when Louis Erickson came in as well, and because uh, I really enjoyed his game, and I know he had a great season at Boston before coming, and I loved his game in Dallas, but watching him play is just brutal. I and you and like Kirby said, you can tell when he's not trying, and he's taken off. He's taken off these last three years. Oh well, fuck too. Like Benning this week, and I we don't have the clip, but I remember they're asking him like, "What's wrong with Louis Erickson?" And they're like, "Well, we brought him in to be a 20, 20 goal scorer consistently <laughs> through the season." I'm like, "You're paying him six million dollars. Like, why the fuck are you paying this guy six million dollars to be a twenty goal scorer? That's not accurate. Oh. That's not the production you wanted out of this guy." You know, like, shame on you for even saying that. Yeah. Uh, here's Travis Green on uh, making the tough decision <laughs> to sit <laughs> Louis Erickson. Yeah, never an easy decision to sit uh, a guy that's been in the league a long time. You've seen it happen, you know, around the league a few times. And, uh, you know, it's hard for guys that have been in the league. So it wasn't an easy decision. Uh, you know what? To be honest, it's not like I'm sitting here saying he's played so bad that I'm going to take him out of the lineup. I wanted to put Granny back in, um, and he was the guy that drew out. Simple as that. I want, it, I want everyone on the team to make it hard for me to take them out of the lineup. And uh, it's just as simple as that. I kind of cut out a few of the clips in there, but J- Jason Botchford was grilling them pretty hard about Louis Erickson here. <laughs> well, as they should, and I kind of want to see what happens on uh, media day, you know, when the Canucks are clearing out their lockers. I want to see if he even comes out and faces the media. Because people are going to have questions. Like, it's going to be a big question this offseason. What are they going to do to this guy, and why didn't this work? And Ian McIntyre was saying it on the last uh, last game, right, during the intermission there, saying that they are looking at ways to get rid of this guy. Yeah. yeah. It's... And it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, if you look at the five-on-five stats with Louis Erickson, if you were to just take Louis Erickson out of the picture, the Canucks would actually only be like 11 goals under in five-on-five, which is not terrible for what the team's done so far. But when Louis Erickson gets put in there, I mean, he's – He's a minus 10 on five on five alone. And that's that's just the fact that he's a fourth line grinder. Yeah. And when they assembled that line of Erickson, Beagle, and Mott, for the first 50 games, they did not allow one goal in the first 50 games of the season. Like that line was actually a good fourth line. And I like, I remember writing articles about it and saying like, wow, I can't believe they haven't been scored on yet. 
And I feel like as soon as that article came out, they just started getting scored. I think it was like six <laughs> goals in the next three games they allowed. And it was just an absolute downhill grind after that. But, but that fourth line, like for a while, I was fine with what Erickson, Mott, and Beagle were doing. And it was like, I don't know if I just give up. And I was like, okay, it is what it is. Like Todd Bertuzzi saw with these guys. And it was just at that point, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything up here for Louie, and I don't think he cares anymore. Like, I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. Does he even care? Like, I don't think so either. He's the ice first, and he's the guy who's, you know, you see Pedersen out there taking extra shots. You see Besser out there taking extra shots. Those guys don't really need to work on their shot. Louis Erickson came out and said, when he got signed here, he said, I don't have a good shot. Yeah, he was like, chucking okay, muffins. Then work on it. Work on it. Look at Pedersen out there who did his, like, Pedersen's 12 or 13 step process to getting a better shot because that's what he wasn't good at. Look at his draft profile needs to work on shot. Well, guess what? Pedersen worked on his shot and now he has an amazing shot. Louis Erickson is just, he, he doesn't care in the end. I think that's the biggest thing. He doesn't care anymore. And that's, and you can see it. It just drives you nuts. Well, we were there at a game. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he, when he came on and did the little twirl, Art yells at him like from like upper deck. He's like, you're playing hockey, Louie. <laughs> like, just like, and, and Art's a pretty calm dude, you know. But like, uh, there's something about his game sometimes that just makes makes both of our bloods just absolutely boil up. Yeah, he cannot leave soon enough. If you ask me, it's yeah. it's, it's well, he he gets he sits. Granlin comes in there last night. Had a humdinger of a game. Had so many chances. Couldn't jar one, but he had a lot of chances. And then Mott, Mott almost had a Hattie. Two goals, and then he like he's out on the ice with the net pulled. He almost had three. Yeah, two goals in eleven seconds broke the game open. Immediate yeah, how about dividends. That clapper from Mott. That was quite the slap shot. I didn't know he had that. In Fuck, the dude, that was scary though. Hey, with Roussel on the ice, yeah. like oh, holy. God. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw Roussel on the ice, and I'm like, he's gonna fire it right into Roussel. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, and he you got Tyler Mott taking that shot too. That's the last guy you want with the action. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bomb from the point. Anybody? Yeah. Uh, that's actually a good segue because uh, we learned right after the game that Antoine Roussel was going to be out for the season. He injured his knee, I guess, when he bent it awkwardly while simultaneously falling forward and losing a battle and being hit backwards by Brendan Lemieux. Uh, and Brandon Lemieux got a five-minute penalty for that? Yeah, well, I think he's Claude Lemieux's kid, right? One of the dirtiest players in the game. <laughs> like father, like son. No, like, I don't know about that hit, man. I, it looked a little high, but at the same time, I don't think, like, it would have been much if, if Roussel was down in a heap. And it's so funny because Roussel has that reputation of being one of those guys, too, who agitates and, and uh, you know, can embellish a call from time to time and all those sort of things. But, yeah, Lemieux gets hunted, and... um I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was just because of the Kreider thing and all the uproar beforehand. But uh, I, I I agreed with Cheech. Cheech, during that game, he's like, I don't know about that call. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, Roussel, he's had a pretty good year. 31 points, 118 penalty minutes in 65 games. I think he's exactly what we would have hoped for. He's one of those signings that I'm really pumped on that that we we brought in last season. He's the best. Out of all the ones that we've done, he's he's the best signing from he? from all those guys. I think so. Yeah, he's he's up against a lot of hard competition for that. Though, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, but Beagle, I do agree. Yeah. I, Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I just I think the fact that it was like it was Brendan Lemieux on Antoine Roussel. Like the refs knew they were going to call a five minute penalty if somebody <laughs> got injured, and one of those two guys was the guy who hit him. Like they the refs had it set. It's like, well, Roussel hit someone. He got hit. Yeah, let's just give him five minutes. They're like, oh. <laughs> end up giving this with you. I, I agree, but you know, at the same time, that's that's a super tough way to watch Antoine Roussel go up because, yeah, like you guys talked about, I mean, he's he's the backhand soft master, like he's the soft boss. And the way he just, the way he made a lot of plays this year on two on ones, I thought that that line of Roussel, Horvat, and Vertan, yeah. was actually when Horvat actually had some wingers that could contribute to him, and I like, I just, I wish we saw more of that line, and I think next year, like coming in and. And it's something that I like when I've talked about some of these, when I've got to interview some people that are around the team or get to interview people. I know uh, Myra Lawrence was one. She interviews everyone post game and during the intermissions for Sportsnet 650. And I asked her like, who is the best leader on this team right now? Because it looks like Horvat from the outside, but like you're in the room. Who is it? And she's like, it's Roussel. Like he, he keeps everyone so loose. He's a guy who just loves hockey, loves being around the boys. I mean, he's going to be a hell of a guest when he's on spit and chicklets, whenever that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I love Roussel, and just uh, like you said, like his his backhand sauce is past for a guy his age, man. The way he can keep up with guys like Vertanen and Horvat is is fantastic, and I love the edge 
to his game. And when he came in this year, that was one of the things that I was hoping, right? Like, I'm like, please pass that off to some of these younger guys. Pass it off to a Vertan and, like, let's make this sort of uh, thing happen and, and, and get that veteran leadership. I actually kind of, like... I know his competition hasn't been as high as a lot of people said for for a signing this year. Beagle, to me, I like Art and I saw him early in the year. He was fantastic on the ice. And then towards the end of the season, I don't know if he was injured or 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 what happened, but like his game definitely has fallen fallen off a little bit. Um I don't really mind either of those guys too much. Schaller's just a complete bust in my opinion. Um but yeah, that's that's Sorry, just kind of where that? we're at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's right? still on this team. Yeah. Jeez. Tim Schaller. Yeah. When's the last time Tim Schaller played? I guess he played, uh, oh, man, it's been over a week. He got in on Almost one game. Almost a month ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He got in on <laughs> one game, I think, and then he was out immediately yeah. again. Doesn't wasn't that, that, wasn't that the game right? against the Ducks where Benning was, I mean, sorry, Travis Green was like, I have a feeling? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Arizona, that was the last one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just before that hit uh, on... Uh, on Roussel that knocked him out for uh, the rest of this uh, series or season, rather. Uh, Petey received a hit from old Mr. Chris Kreider there. Uh, it was questionable, and it was. I, I got to give a lot of credit to the officials on the ice for coming together and then making a, the right call on that because he was. It was clearly a reckless hit. Uh, wh- how did you see it there, Faber? Well, like, that's a really good point, Art. The fact that they, you know, brought that up and came together and made the right call, I think that's huge. That's something that we don't see refs do a lot. Like, uh, I, I do play-by-play, and the problem with me doing play-by-play is I'm always so pissed off at refs. Like, I, I think some <laughs> refs do a terrible job, and, and the fact that they came together and made the right call on that play, I think that's totally right because, yeah, I mean, it was accidentally on purpose, right? I mean, obviously, when you have Pedersen in the corner – and you just missed a hit on him, like, uh, I'll tell you what, if I was playing, I probably would have done the same thing if I'm going against the best player on that team in the corner. Like, it's it's not a – I mean, it's a dirty play, but it's also something that's like – I feel like an NHL player has that in their DNA to yeah. do that, right? So, I think it's, it's a sh- – yeah, I think it's just a shitty way to throw a hit, though, right? Like, yeah. every everybody who's ever played puck knows that that's not the way you go in and lay the body on a guy. It's a little reckless, and we've seen that from Chris Kreider in the past a few times with the way he plays. And I think that, it, like, I love the fact that the refs came together. And it's not even the elbow to the face that drew blood that bugged me the most. It's watching a player's head fucking bang, bounce right off the glass, you know? Yeah. And and seeing PD do that and already knowing that he had a concussion this season, like, that type of hit shouldn't be allowed around here. Now, I mean, $5,000 fine. Yeah, the NHL responded today, gave him the maximum allowable fine. Getting punted from the game, I think that punishment kind of fits the crime, in in my opinion. I don't know if it should have been much more than that. Like, he didn't get to play the rest of the game. Yeah, Petey came back. Thank thank your lucky stars Petey came back because Canucks Nation would be talking about something completely different today if if he hadn't have come back. Yeah. Are you guys worried that, uh, you know, and this has come up before that uh, PD, you know, he's the subject of these kind of questionable hits. You know, people are coming after him. Hell yeah. If Kokaniemi could do it to him, anyone could freaking do it to him. Like, uh, there's a certain point with when you when you want someone on your team to step up. I mean, that's why we had good Branson here. Even that that play yesterday, somebody needs to step in to Kreider's yeah. face and tell him, like, hey, not even only to tell Chris Kreider, but to tell the whole fucking league, you cannot hit Peterson, Pedersen. I keep calling him Peterson. Some about you guys are show twist me up here. But you guys cannot hit Pedersen like this. Like, no one is, no one should be able to touch Petey in this way. Like, it sounds, that sounds a little weird off the rails there. But, you know, like, no one should be able to get him. Like, they, that should not be allowed. Not only in the NHL with the rules, but as a Canuck teammate of his, you don't touch Petey like that. I, I know that's maybe an old school way of hockey thinking at it, but, it, like, Still, somebody needs to step up, whether it be a guy like Roussel who can do it or Jake Bertanen can maybe develop yeah. that mean streak in him. But one of the bigger guys, needs, or anyone on the ice, like Besser was in there getting in his face there. Levo's on the ice. I mean, yeah. Diego's on the ice at the time. Some of these guys needs to stand up for Petey, and this this can't happen moving forward because people are going to do this as much as they can get away with it, and I don't want to see any more injuries on Pedersen. And I and going back to the Cook and Niemi hit as well, uh, there there are people that are saying that that wasn't dirty, yada yada. I don't think it was. It's not coincidence that 
Pedersen's taking these hits. I don't, I don't think well, it is a coincidence. But, but, like, Petey's a gamer too, right? And, like, he's going to these areas to try and retrieve the puck. Like, we've seen it this year, and it, I love it about his game. Like, I'm like, man, he's in our own zone, and he's battling to get these pucks out of the corner, out of everything else. Like, and, then, and he's all over the ice with the puck at, at, at like, almost all the time when he's, when, he's out, um, when he's out playing. And, like, he goes to these areas, and I'm not saying – that uh, he's underdeveloped because he has so much skill and he usually eludes guys. But, like, he's going to put a, some more meat on his bones. Yeah. He's going to get bigger in the offseason. Uh, like, he's he's still developing, and hopefully we don't see this happen too much. It's vulnerable It's vulnerable spots on the ice okay. that he's put himself in partially as well. I'm not saying the, the fault's on him at all. But uh, I there's Adam Oates is a guy who does a lot of work with um, – like the New York Islanders, and he does a lot of work with players coming into the league and everything like that. And he always says that if a guy hits his head against the glass on a hit, he didn't see the hit coming. And he says it's the most dangerous thing to happen to a player. And he, he one of the things that he always tries to ingrain in the people that he's coaching is to make sure that that never happens to him, right? And I think that that's something that a lot of players should uh, focus on a little more just league-wide as a whole. Uh. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, Faber, because uh, we've been stretching our minds just to, at least I have, like trying to figure out uh, a comparison for Elias Patterson. And I think that the best com- uh, comparison that I've seen over the last decade or so, I think he has the same type of game as Pavel Datsuk. And I think Datsuk is maybe a little smarter in those, maybe those areas that you're talking about. Uh, I mean, he's was a, he was a veteran when he left, but uh, I think with Petey playing such a two-way game, uh, he's going to put himself in some vulnerable spots. And I think Datsuk does a good does a good job of protecting himself. So I think Pedersen has to learn to kind of be like that. Is there a player that you compare him to? Yeah, I mean the Datsuk one is 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 pretty. It's nice to look at. I mean, obviously he's got the hands like Datsuk, but. For me, like it's not really a player. I guess it's a player, but it's like a different ver. It's a he's a skinny Peter Forsberg to me. Like he's a skinny Peter Forsberg. He he played like Peter Forsberg was good defensively. He's good in the defensive yeah. zone. He had a good shot, really good hands, but he was also a power forward. I feel like he has a lot of Forsberg, but just without the power. Like he has a good shot. He's an absolute number one center, and he's someone that you want on your team at all times. I mean, I think he even copied the uh, the Forsberg move. Was it at World Junior? No, it was in the SHL last year. Because Petey said he only has two moves, and I think that was one of his moves. Because he's like, "Oh, I saw it when I was a kid growing up," and I, like, I just feel like he's just a skinny Forsberg, I guess. If I have to pick a player to compare him to, I hate doing this though because I, would, I mean, I should have just said Gretzky and just. See what you <laughs> no, but like, I, I kind of, I kind of agree with you, Faber, and I think that that power side of his game, like he may not become like the full-on tank that Forsberg was, especially when he was on the wall. But I think like some of that stuff's still gonna come as, uh, you know, PD matures. Yeah. Uh, you guys, uh, this is one of the last things I want to get into uh, on this podcast, but you guys were both at the Vegas game, the Vegas Golden Knights game. And before that game, Travis Green kind of told the media that uh, this is a game that we can kind of measure ourselves with because they had been, they had that just terrible uh, performance against Vegas less than a week before uh, where they were outshot what they had what they had almost 50 shots against in that game yeah so he was like going into this game like this is a big game for us and then you guys saw that game where uh they got down early and it was a blowout in the end Uh, basically where i'm going with this is what do you guys want to see when the canucks play the good teams here in the last you know 10 games or so that are happening what what do you want to see from this team yeah for me it's like I don't know if there's anything I even want to see for the rest of the year aside from Quinn Hughes, to be honest. There's there's not much more for me to see. I'd love to see Pedersen score a couple more goals and get back to what he was doing at the start of the season. Uh, I really liked seeing Brock Besser's power play goal the other day. The fact that, you know, and it's something I've talked about with Brock Besser. I don't know if you guys feel this way because I don't know if it's just a shiny new toy that Pedersen is, but Brock Besser last year, when he had the puck on his stick, I, I thought it was going to be a goal every single time. And I don't feel the exact same this year. I feel like his goals are coming in a different way. And I, I wish that it was back to what it was. Like when he was on the left wing with a shot and he had the puck on his stick and he could just rip it. Like I, I it was dangerous every single time. So I'd love to see Quinn Hughes uh, compete, especially against these better teams. I don't, I mean, against these better teams, I, there's not really much for me to see at this point anymore. I mean, I guess take a couple of L's and maybe drop in the standings a little bit because they're a lot better than you guys. But Aside from Quinn Hughes and maybe some bounce back from the young kids and maybe get an opportunity to see a guy like Zach McEwen come back up and play against better competition. But 
like there's there's not much more for me to see at this point. I mean, the, the draft lottery is less than a month away now, so I'm kind of just looking forward towards that. Caleb yeah. Kirby, besides uh, drinking lots of beer <laughs> with Jake Furtan and scores. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, I I agree with what Faber said, but I also think it's it's level of compete from some other guys, and I want to see some of these other guys really, really go hard after spots. You know, like, now that Jake's back, I want to see him just battle it out and show that he's going to stick on this team. Uh, same thing with a guy like Goldobin. Goldobin had a really hot uh, streak there when the Canucks were playing so shittily. He was one shittily. of the he was one of the best players on the ice for a few games. These are the kind of guys like I want to see them cement a spot on this team. I want to see Levo keep doing Levo type things uh, that have impressed me since he's been here. I like when he's setting up in front of that office. I like him in the high slot. I like him going after uh, tipping pucks and stuff like that. I think that's a facet of the Canucks game that really needs some work moving forward i think as well that on a power play that's a big big component we had one of the best power plays 2011 and ryan kessler was a big piece of that because he stood in that office and he played in the hard spot and he was tipping pucks and he was turning and he was bashing them at the goalie and and everything like that so i want to see a canuck become that guy those are all those types of things i mean uh, like i i know that people are just like yeah we can lose we can lose and the more we lose the higher pick chance for a pick we have i don't give a shit like i i mean i am we'll see what happens we'll see what happens but i'm gonna c- continue to cheer on this team and individuals i want to see stay on this team and play hard till the end i, like I got one more thing if i could fit it in here quickly get it in there man gold dobin back with Pedersen because they were really good i think they think the, the game the same way and there's there's just a crazy stat about them on five on five because somebody asked me today on twitter like I wish I could see what Goldobin's like without Pedersen and what Pedersen's like without Goldobin. Well, when Pedersen and Goldobin are together, this is a crazy stat, by the way. So they've played 342 minutes together, um, and they've had 20 goals scored well in that minute and eight goals against. Pedersen without Goldobin in the 460 minutes that he's played, he's scored 22 goals, and they've allowed 26. Holy shit. Like 20 and 8 and 22 and 26. Like, why is Goldobin not with Pedersen? He... Like, it's hard to say this, and people call me crazy all the time, but Goldobin makes Pedersen better, and I would love to see those guys back together. Interesting. So you're, are you saying a, a line of Goldobie, Pet, uh, Goldobie, Goldobin, Pedersen, and Besser then? Uh, yeah, I've messed up that Goldobie so many times. You get caught <laughs> between Goldie and Goldobin. I'm, I've done that so many times. That's funny. Uh, but, yeah, I think I'd like to see that line back together. Um, I like what they're doing at the start of the year. Like I mentioned, Gold, even when it was, you know, when Goldobin at the start of the year, the way that he was playing with Patterson, then he just caught, like, the worst luck. Like, he he wasn't playing every day, and then when he did get open opportunities, he couldn't bury it. I, I would love to see Goldobin, Patterson, and Betzer just ride out the rest of this year. And because when you look at Goldobin, you guys talked about it. I mean, he's a guy that you want to see a lot more of. So why not play him in the best possible situation that where you'd like to see one of your scoring prospects be? And I would love to see Goldobin in that situation. That's a young line that can grow up together, man. It's you know, it it doesn't. It kind of reminds me a little bit, but not really at the same time. But it was like the Alfredson Spets uh, uh, Heatley line. Like that line was so much fun to watch. And I feel like if yeah. all these guys hit their absolute top potential, it would be something similar to what Ottawa had back in the early 2000s. I love it. I'm with you guys as well. I want to see individuals play well. Obviously, I want to see Quinn Hughes be what we want him to be. We all need him to be. Uh, but, I, I yeah, and, and I'm with Curb on this one. I don't really care whether they win or lose the games. I, I Whatever happens, because I'm so jaded on that uh, dra- draft lottery thing. It, it could be anything. It really could. We could end up anywhere between, you know, first and tenth or whatever it is going to be. So Yeah. Uh, one more what about thing. Demko? Some Demko? Like, it would be nice to have a little bit of that sprinkled in at this point, you know? Just sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, yeah, nice to see him, uh, you know, have some good games. I, I thought he played fairly well against Edmonton. Yeah, I even thought when yeah. he came in and, and uh, pulled, when they pulled Markey in that Vegas game, I thought he had a pretty good uh, end to that game as well. Yeah, that Vegas I game was weird. by that point. I didn't yeah. really remember the rest of that game. <laughs> <laughs> Rugby sevens and uh, that, the, like, the Mike's heart I was having yeah. that day that kicked my ass. That, that's also when you agreed to come and join us on this show, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sober me, I don't know if you would have came on. <laughs> um, now, another thing you mentioned that night, too, was that you played baseball at a pretty high level. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I must have been really drunk if we got this far deep into it. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, played for the Nanaimo Pirates growing up and ended up getting a scholarship to uh, NAIA school down in southeast Texas. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of growing up. I, I, I didn't play too much hockey growing up. Uh, 
couldn't wasn't the best skater at all but uh, we had a dry grad did you guys ever have these dry grads oh yeah, like yeah when you graduate so we had a dry grad and there was like a sniper thing set up i was a hell of a road hockey player and i remember like a lot of kids in my school on the island they were from you know up island and playing in the bijhl and some of these other smaller junior b leagues so i'm you know i'm at the sniper thing and i set the highest score and all these hockey kids are like who's this chris favorite kid what teams do you play for and i was just like boys i can i can barely skate <laughs> but like i can i know i'm a hell of a road hockey player i know that nice uh, the reason why I ask you about the ball is because uh, Art and I, we play on a softball team up here for our station, uh, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the Q in the zone at 91.3. We're called the Quadra Village Garbage Birds, and we need a ringer who's got some power behind a behind a cut here. So if you're ever up in Victoria, bring your glove because uh, we need all the help we can get. Well, dude, if you guys need a left-handed shortstop, I am there. Uh, he's Chris Faber, a, bo- a podcaster out of Nanaimo. He's the host of Canucks Conversations, and he's also a contributor to uh, Canucks Army. How often do you write for them? Uh, well, I do put out a weekly one, just kind of wrapping up what I did with Canucks Conversations. And then uh, whenever I get inspired about something, uh, normally Goldobin or Shotgun Jake related, I'll write that. Uh <laughs> I, I try and get about one article out every 10 days or so. And then, like I said, I do the weekly ones that I kind of just review what I talked about uh, on this week's podcast. And it, it's been pretty cool that Canucks Army kind of reached out and was also took some interest in my podcast and wanted to get involved. And uh, thanks to the guys over there, uh, Jackson and Ryan, the guys that kind of got me involved with them, and Corey Hergott as well getting me in. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And it's, uh, the podcast got a nice little bump when I'm on CanucksArmy.com. So shout out to them. No kidding. This guy's uh, he's, he's got it going on. He's killing it with his podcast, uh, unlike us. Hey, Kurt? <laughs> uh, you can find him on Twitter at ChrisFaber39. Is that right? Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. You're not going to let him say his own Twitter handle? What an asshole. I thought that's what you're supposed to do as the host. I'll say the podcast, at Canucks Convo. You guys need a podcast Twitter, by the way, too. You guys get to go on that. Oh, that's I, been a point of contention between us. I've been Has trying it? to yeah. push for more social media, and this guy over here is just an old man, anti-social <laughs> media. Think about it. You get a shotgun Jake out, you guys doing it together. It's a good idea. I'm Art, Art doesn't like the shotgun Jake. Art's a, Art's a stickler. He's, I'm the old he's man He's an elitist. He's, he's got the, <laughs> the monocle and the top hat. He thinks the uh, shotgun's for the peasants. I didn't say that. I'm coming around to it i said i approved the message i just didn't uh do it that's all favor i'm thank talking you. to uh i'm talking to the generational shotgunner dweeb i'm sure you see yeah. shotgun jake it's a beauty. Week on the show so that's gonna be a fun conversation we're gonna start the uh interview with a shotgun so that should be pretty fun this week <laughs> nice <laughs> that's awesome man so uh next up for the canucks uh as we uh wind uh between the stammers our 25th episode uh a milestone episode of the Canucks uh, Friday. That'll be tomorrow hosting New Jersey and then Sunday at the stars and then Monday at Chicago. That'll be fun. If uh, the Blackhawks are still in the uh, race for that final wildcard spot, yeah. wouldn't it be fun to knock them down? Play a little spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. That's all the Canucks can do at this point. I would say play spoiler. All right. Should we wrap this up? <laughs> yeah. Kirby, where can we find you? At Curbman 23 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Art Aronson on Twitter and you can also get a hold of, uh, between the stammers at gmail.com yeah boom and no other social media because <laughs> caleb kirby's the worst uh f- favor thank you very much for joining us um uh, much appreciated would love to have you on anytime again yeah it's been a pleasure boys i uh, listen to you guys every week i started tuning in probably probably five weeks ago or so as i kind of you know i run out of podcast a lot and i kind of started exploring and looked up some canucks found your guys' show and uh, you guys are doing a great job man i think that uh both you guys bring a lot to the table are you do good job keeping kirby uh contained sometimes <laughs> he's about to go off it's a full-time job man you, full-time you job good rants at the same time and uh you guys the show is really good i, I listen to it every week from now on so you guys got a fan in me thanks for having me on